0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Really good to be with you. And our theme today is Breaking Free from the Temptation of Self-Promotion. Breaking Free from the Temptation of Self-Promotion. It's a vast theme. Now, I think we're very aware in the 21st century with all the new technologies of this temptation. I mean, with Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, emerging technologies that... Uh, there's this scent with my success is dependent on the extent of my influence how people many people know me how many followers i've got and how many invitations i get to re, to speak outside and 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 so it's the size of my influence not just the size of my ministry and then i'm looking and then really actually the amount of praise and affirmation i receive and how that compares with other people and so it's a uh this, it can be crushing um this struggle of how do i not promote myself but yet it seems like everything is so dependent on it and and so the it's crushing because it just squeezes the life right out of us the spiritual life out of us and it distracts us and clouds our vision from God's unique plan for us and it just kills joy kills contentment as we're looking over our shoulders and comparing ourselves and and our doing ends up getting out of whack we end up saying yes to things that we really God's not inviting us to say yes to, and we violate limits. We find ourselves in territory of doing things that it can feel like we're spiraling out of control and our inner life ends up suffering, um, and we're more busy or way more busy than God actually intends. And so this temptation, this deadly temptation of uh, self-promotion confronts every one of us. And and actually— you could look at the, the desert temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Everything from you know turning the stones to bread, or jumping down from the temples. So everybody notices him, or uh, you know bowing to Satan for a moment so that his success will be instant uh, and he can avoid suffering. There's really a similar theme in all those temptations, uh, and that is to use his power, uh, and anointing, and gifting for his own ends, taking control of himself, and exercising that power. Apart from the father, apart from the father's leading, uh, and so he get popular quick. He can get successful quick without suffering. Uh, he can he can turn his stones to bread again, using his own power and giftings to make something happen ahead of time. And so, in, in some ways, you could sum up the temptations as uh, another angle, which is there is a deadly temptation of the evil unto all of us, which is that deadly temptation to promote ourselves uh, in an inappropriate way. It's and so we like Jesus, have been given a uh, a belovedness uh, uh, by the Father, you are my beloved daughter, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus is loved, you're loved and beloved. And that boundary is 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 that relationship with the Father Jesus had and he was not to deviate from that loving union, that oneness with the Father. Well, in the same way, we are in a boundary relationship where everything we do and say is boundary by, The fact of we're in a loving relationship with the father and we follow him we we let him allow him to guide us and lead us and we don't get outside that boundary and take control or use our power inappropriately and the temptation is to do that so we get results quickly and so we're to stay aligned like jesus so it's a temptation for every person uh especially in leadership in the church paid or unpaid pastor or volunteer because it ends up feeding our false self. And again, it, it gets us out of line. I, I've been hearing since I early days of becoming a Christian of, oh, I struggle with people-pleasing from Galatians one ten, And uh, yeah, but it's deep. This is deeper than that. This is wider and much more nuanced. We're talking about an ancient temptation that began in the beginning of history uh, in, in the garden that faces every leader. And you will face until your last breath because we're dealing with powers and principalities of of darkness, it's a big one. So in this podcast, I want to explore four ways to break free from that uh, temptation, that deadly temptation of self-promotion as we're leading. And uh, and again, we find it all over in the world, right, from arts to politics to uh, business world to influencers in the world, social media. Uh, The problem is it's so deep in the church, it's so seeped into us that it's almost like we've become part of that as well. And and yet God calls us to another way of living and operating as public figures serving Jesus. So now, again, it's really interesting to look at the Gospels uh, in the first century and Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. and and his consistent conflict with them. And he accuses them over and over again of having crossed a line into self-promotion. And he says to them, woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. And he says, you're concerned about your own self-promotion, your own status, how you're seen by other people. And uh, we would say today, you're so concerned about how many followers you've got uh, and how many folks are clicking for you that they like you on Instagram. And Jesus says in, in Matthew 23, everything they do or everything you do is for people to see. And I ended up doing a deep dive in just Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders. And I recognize that one of the key themes here is Jesus going after them about the fact that they crossed a the line into this self-promotion. In John 5, he says, how can you trust me if you accept praise from one another and not make any effort to get praise from God? And, and again, honor and status were a, a, an overriding, gigantic issue in the Roman Empire uh, in the days of Jesus. Because wealth and uh, was a way of accumulating status and a sense of power and how you were seen in society. And so Jesus was always lifting up the poor, the beggars, the lepers, the blind. People are on the total bottom of the social ladder. Uh, but he was going after folks who were finding their status and honor in the societies. And so he says that a Pharisees who, he says, they loved money. And uh, he says, you you justify yourselves in the eyes of people. But what, what what people highly value is detestable in God's sight, he says in Luke 16. He goes, woe to you. And he calls them hypocrites, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, because you're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look fantastic. You look beautiful, but inside, you're full of bones, dead bones and everything unclean. And so Jesus himself completely rejects finding any sense of status or promoting himself, and, and, and he rejects it. Completely this temptation is self-promotion to follow the Father. And then he says to us, every disciple must die. Take up your cross and follow me. So there's an invitation to die with Jesus, to to again the world. We see that in Paul. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet, you know, not I, but Christ lives in me. And he goes, I you know, may I never boast except in the cross through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul's got this tremendous sense where he's dead. Uh and, and we see again this. Tension all through church history with religious leaders, and what what became the monastic tradition—the desert fathers and mothers—and then through church history, there's a stream of rejection of self-promotion. Uh, so, for example, the desert fathers and mothers would talk consistently. If you read their sayings, they would say, "You know, if you do not become dead." Uh, like those who were in the tomb, you can't grasp certain sayings. And you know, they were asked, for example, in different settings. You know, how do I, how do I love my neighbor? And and uh, and, and they say, as their father said, if you don't think in your heart that you're al- that you're already dead for three days, uh, you can't understand that either. And so there's this invitation to to be dead. And uh, in fact, Jerry and I were in Guatemala uh, last month, and we were visiting some uh, monasteries from the 15th century or 16th century. And it was fascinating. Wasn't this one in particular? I took a picture of it, That they had a, uh, a place for dead bones and, uh, right there as a place to visit because it was a reminder, good Benedictine spirituality that remember your death every day to keep that before you. In fact, in, in Syria, there was a whole movement of, people living on the top of columns. And the most famous was a guy named Simon or, or Simeon the Stylite. He was a Syrian in the sixth uh, century who uh, had been a hermit. So many people were coming to him for counsel. He, he ended up climbing a column, uh, top of a column, to get away from people trying to promote him all the time. And he found the solitude so refreshing on the top of a column, he ended up living there for 30 years atop a column 60 foot high and six feet wide, and he would actually tie himself at night when he went to sleep so he wouldn't fall off. And people would bring him food. But uh, he, so, you know, so he, he was so careful, he didn't want people touching him or again, projecting onto him. And his fame, actually, by the time of his death, was so massive that emperors came to see him. And there was a whole movement of what was called stylites uh, in Syria uh, in about the 5th, 6th century, because it was such a popular way to again avoid this self-promotion, although it could seem like it could be self-promotion, but it was a whole movement. But again, it was a it was a response to the wider religious culture of promoting oneself. In fact, when I first visited, um, I'll never forget it, decades ago, a Trappist monastery, and I participated in their life together, their daily offices at three in the morning, five in the morning, you know. Eight times a day, seven, eight times a day, and just how they were cloistered and they didn't, they could care less about promoting themselves. It was like they had really died to the world. And it gave me a visceral grasp of how much I had been formed by Western capitalist culture of grow bigger, better, faster, and how much of so much of my pastoral life up to that point had been shaped or informed by this need to grow fast, and thus this struggle and temptation of self-promotion, I realized, oh, in the history of the church over the last 2,000 years, in different streams, not so much my stream here in Western culture, but clearly a stream, and I began to study it all through the last 2,000 years, I realized, oh my gosh, uh, I have been formed, you've been formed by our culture, and again, this, that's what makes this deadly temptation of self-promotion so great. What encouraged me was it's not just our generation. It's been happening since the first generation. That's one of the reasons we developed what we call the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and part two, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, because we wanted to expose the church in the West to the breadth of our history, the riches of the spiritual formation and discipleship. In our history, outside of just Western culture, and so there's, for example, not there's we, we introduce a number of missing truths, biblical truths that are you know in Scripture. But we don't talk a lot about in the West, like grieving and limits and going back to go forward, but also exposing people to devotionals. And one of our ministries is exposing the church to the riches of what's out there in a culture. So I mentioned, for example, Desert Fathers and Mothers and Simon the the Stylite, and again, and trying to expose people that there's a there's a lot more riches here to for us to be formed in Jesus and set free so we can lead well for Christ and so it's an invitation that we can bring to our churches a deep spirituality not a shallow one so let me let me encourage you now uh, if you don't know about the emotionally of the discipleship course part one and two i'm doing actually a webinar this coming thursday uh at 2 p.m eastern time and uh, i want to invite you to come to it at emotionallyhealthy.org discover it's a zoom meeting it's one hour and i'll share with you how this course even works and might it work for your church how would it work in your church what would it look like to actually begin to bring this to yourself and maybe your team but it's an introduction to a breadth of depth of spirituality that um, is actually very transformative not just for us but for those we lead again Check it out. It's it's called Discover the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course, and I'll do I'll answer FAQs as well that you might have. So just go to emotionallyhealthy.org/discover. And if it's not if you, if you hear this after this week is over, uh, go on our website because we offer it you know regularly for people to find out about what is the emotionally healthy discipleship course. But let's go into the four. How do I break this thing? What are the four elements uh, so I can get free? The first is this, we must do the hard work of discernment and self-examination as we speak publicly, engage social media, and lead other people. So the first thing we got to do is engage and do the hard work of discernment and self-examination. Uh, I, I was recently asked a question by a pastor. He goes, Pete, how, how do I engage social media? I see you engage social media uh, where I don't cross a line into self-promotion. And uh, then another pastor asked me, and Pete, not only that, is that a struggle, but the people in my church are following all these amazing people on social media. uh, And it makes me look like, and our church look like we're losers or we're we're nowhere. And uh, so absolutely, that's part of the temptation to to self-promotion. And I'm very aware that uh, there are churches being built on social media. I mean, I it's not uncommon to have a, I heard of one pastor actually had six people full time doing his social media. That's how much he was building his platform and the church through that means. And so I'm actually, again, I'm, I'm pro social media. It just has to be guarded and boundaried uh, again, because it's so you know dangerous. It's so powerful. It can suck us in and the temptation to compare ourselves. So I think in general, we need to engage social media Uh, all of us who are in public ministries for Christ because it's part of the way our culture operates, but we must have no illusions about the powers and principalities in it. Uh, And that can easily grab hold of our hearts and again, crush the life of Jesus right out of us. And, And so it takes discernment. So when I see, for example, a young person becoming famous way beyond their character or inner life and I get extremely concerned. They may be functioning as an elderly apostle in the world, but actually do not have the life yet to be in that role. And the social media and self-promotion has so elevated them that it's taken them into a very dangerous place. And so it takes discernment and wisdom uh, and great self-awareness of a deeply formed life to do this kind of discernment. So what I do... And in my case, I'm not pastoring a local church any longer. But what I do do is I, I actually uh, have a person who does it for me. I actually give it about an hour per week. And uh, I craft, based on what we're doing here as a ministry, uh, the social media posts for that week. And this person actually posts them for me throughout the week. And uh, I don't want to give it more time. I recognize it's got a place of importance Um, Because I am in a public ministry and most of us, most of you listening are in public ministries, but I've got to be very careful. Now, what has been a very helpful image for me to keep myself grounded in discernment is uh, the incarnation. I think I might have mentioned before in other podcasts, Malcolm Muggeridge, uh, the BBC journalist uh, of the 20th century in Great Britain, Uh, He did a number of lectures on Christ in the media. It's one of his themes of of his life as he became to Christ. And he regarded the fourth temptation, he called it, the fourth temptation of Jesus, the wilderness, was was to pull out from the incarnation and go big over the whole Roman Empire versus staying anchored in Galilee, in Nazareth, was his 12 disciples in this mustard seed kingdom. And uh, and the temptation was to be puffed, self-promoting. And I I love that. I actually, I, I, the importance of our local work. Uh, most of us are pastors and or leaders in local church ministries, and and it's it's hard. It's it's we're under shepherds of Jesus, and but we are called to incarnation, uh, not just the whole world. We're called to where God's placed us, and to be faithful in that. And so, our most important work is to be guarding our hearts and watching out for the seven, eight deadly sins. Now, what's interesting, one of the ways they measured success in the church fathers, the early centuries of the church, was really one's own holiness. And so they were constantly on the watch for what was called the seven or eight deadly sins. Things like pride and, you know, where I step over the line and I'm looking for glory for myself and not glory to God. And I'm watching my heart for things like gluttony. Again, they describe gluttony as not just about food, but being discontent with the with what God's given me, or uh, wrath. Find myself ir- being easily irritated by what's happening around me. So, watching one's heart for that, or or spiritual envy, being unhappy when others are prospering and I don't seem to be prospering, or or greed again, not just love of money, uh, but wanting other things in an inappropriate way, coveting, or sloth, running away from the hard things. Uh, and not embracing the the crucifixion, the the cross and God's way of life that comes through suffering and death. Um, in other words, that God's using the temptations and and our work on the seven deadly sins in our own heart as we're doing discernment and self-examination, we're watching ourselves and recognizing our limits that we don't want to cross certain lines because of our own struggles that God's pulling out of us some things about our own self-will and, uh, transforming us and though he puts these limits around us and he's not just restraining our flesh he's pulling things out of us i i'm i became very aware over time that in my own discernment that god had put me at at new life fellowship church in queens new york for 26 years in basically obscurity queens is new york is like the other side of the tracks and i remember i wrote my first book and i remember the editor telling me Nobody was buying the book, and the editor said, "Listen, P, you have to understand, you live in Queens." And he said it very nicely. He was a friend of mine. He goes, "You're basically a, a nobody. You don't. You don't have any platforms. No one invites you to speak anywhere." Um, and I just remember realizing after he said that, like, "Oh yeah, this is where God put me," and this was a gift. It was like a Jacob moment when Jacob says in Genesis 28, "Oh, after in the whole experience of Bethel, where he meets God, he goes, oh, the Lord is in this place,' and I was not aware of it." I realized, oh, God's in this place where he has placed me with all these limits here and pastoring our church. Uh, and I'm not flying and traveling all over the country or the world, but it was a gift to keep me grounded and God doing his work in me uh, and God took care of it. So first is just, I like do the hard work of the sermon. That's the first way I'm going to break the power of this temptation to self-promote. Uh, but the second is it really gets into, what we're going to call, I'm going to call it know your shadow. Uh, that is the, the, your genogram, your family of origin, on a level beyond even the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course, which we bring to our churches. I'm talking a much higher level, deeper level, that we have got to know our histories and thus our particular temptations that come out of it. So I don't, I, I don't, this is not a time to go into, you know, genogram 201, but many of us, all of us carry introjects that come out of our family of origin growing up where we have these wounds and struggles that from our early years, and again, all of our parents were imperfect, and that keep us from being a balanced, integrated person and leader. So we take in all this film footage, things that say to us, we all have two or three of these messages like, you know, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I'm a loser, or uh, uh, I'm invisible, or I'm not lovable, or I'm stupid, not smart enough, or you know, I, I'm a loser, or I'm not competent, or I'll never amount to anything, or or you know what, I, I'm behind, and I always will be behind, and I'm damaged goods, and I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm being rejected, or I'm being abandoned, or I'm being criticized. And once you get that dynamic inside of yourself from, again, millions of miles of footage from our histories, and then we become pastors and leaders. And Jerry has this very funny illustration. She goes, I think every pastor who's preaching Behind them, people should say there's a, there's a, uh, they're genogram. And they're saying, behind, they're preaching the sermon, but they're saying, tell me I'm not a loser. Tell me I'm okay. Uh, tell me I'm, I'm doing great. But in other words, I, I've got these unresolved family of origin stuff that I've not really dealt with that are causing me to behave in certain ways. And again, we're back to self-promotion. Because once you get that dynamic inside of yourself, that I'm a loser or I'm behind or uh, people don't think I'm, I'm very good uh, we end up playing that out in different situations. And, uh, so I've got to become aware and do that kind of inner work, uh, and get free. And I become aware of it. I mean, and I be, pick what's unconscious become conscious that I can make a decision to say, where's this come from in my history. And then I begin to move in an opposite direction and say, I have this feeling inside of me, but I'm not going to respond to it. And I'm going to do again, God's will and stay in love and union with the father. Um, and so I've got to, again, do that deep inner work and break it so I can get free. So, again, I want to do the hard work of discernment in my own spiritual life. And then, secondly, I want to know my shadow and the particular roots of my shadow and perhaps a couple of messages that I've got deep inside of me that, again, drive me to make decisions that aren't necessarily what God's inviting me to, but unconsciously end up doing it because I'm unaware. And the third, again, these are all related, the way to break this deadly temptation of self-promotion is, is I've got I want to cultivate a deep loving union uh with Jesus, with God. Um, and it's gonna free me. I, there's no getting around that. In other words, that the number one job description for every one of us, and you listening around the world, we all serve Jesus in so many different areas. But for every one of us, our number one task on our to-do list or our job description is to be with God, to prioritize deepening our relationship, our loving union with Jesus, uh, silence, stillness, scripture, cultivating a life, a framework so that the radical truths of Jesus have space to deeply transform me. Listen, again, we're all being influenced and being formed by the world around us. And so we've got to create a life where we're cultivating deep, loving union with Jesus. That is no small task when you're in leadership and all these demands are coming at you. Very challenging. Uh, but it's life and death. And so I like to say, just put it number one on your job description. What am I going to do to be growing and maturing as a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus and as one who's leading for Jesus so that I'm anchored of being with him out of which I do for him. I've slowed down my life. And that's why we've created this thing called the School of Emotionally Healthy Leadership for pastors and leaders. And it's actually a deep dive in informing you and new habits and ways of functioning as a leader so that I am, one, I'm growing in my discernment, number one. I'm knowing my shadow, Number two, my Genogram stuff, but I'm also creating a life where I'm cultivating deep loving union with God, and I'm not just skimming on the surface. And so I want to invite you to consider applying for that. We have a few spaces left. We actually begin in another month or two. And uh, uh, check out the School of Emotionally Healthy Leadership. You have to apply to get into it. There's limited spots. It's an eight-week semester. It's all done by Zoom. There's actually tables. Part of that course happens in the United Kingdom, Europe. Australia, New Zealand, as well as Latin America and Spanish. Uh, but I want to invite you to consider applying. Look at the syllabus, what's involved. But it is a deep dive. Uh, two and a half hours every week, you're in a class, uh, and you're actually being formed deeply into a new way of leading out of deep, loving union with God. So again, check it out at EmotionallyHealthy.org slash Leadership School. That's EmotionallyHealthy.org Leadership school. Each of us needs to protect that desert place with God. And my favorite story, one of my favorite stories is from Anthony of Athanasius, uh, the father of all monasticism. Uh, And when he received a letter from the emperor to come to the emperor Constantine's place to visit him in Constantinople, And he wondered if he should go. And then a wise brother said to him, if you go, you'll be called Anthony. But if you stay here in the desert, again, cultivating loving union with God and not rushing ahead, you will be called Abba Anthony. In other words, he ultimately neglected, he he rejected that invitation to go to the capital city to meet with the emperor because he recognized if he was going to grow into a deep spiritual leader, he needed to monitor his external and his internal activity. And he needed a lifestyle of slowing down for loving union with with the Father, out of which he then led and served others, which eventually did after 20 years and was a great blessing to the world. But we need spaciousness uh, to know what's happening inside of us to discern that. Again, the most loving thing you can do for the people you love and lead is to invest in your loving union with God in Jesus. Nothing more loving you can do because it oozes out and impacts everybody around you like a lovely aroma. But there's one more key thing to break the power of this deadly temptation of self promotion for, for us, the rest of our lives. And that is to discover and to remain in our sealed orders. In other words, we remain in God's particular purpose for us in this season of our lives. Again, everything flows out of the sense of we're beloved. You're loved by God. And that and you're in a relationship with, with with God, in Jesus with the Father. And so that relationship because you're in it has certain boundaries to it and limits that we're not to stray out or off of. And so we're to we're to follow him and and stay with him. And it's not easy to remain faithful when you feel these powerful seductions and temptations. Uh, especially when you're shepherding other people, which is just hard work, which is difficult. It's not fancy. It's not glamorous. It's not quick fix. I mean, pastoring and leading other people is slow. Just think of Jesus' discipleship with the 12. It was slow. And he was the most powerful human being that's ever lived on earth, completely filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, and so, remember every, a student can't be above their teacher nor a servant above their master and so that deadly temptation will be around us throughout our entire lives and so you say i can't do it Pete. i can't the the, 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 the temptation of self-promotion is so great around me but i want to encourage you that the holy spirit rests on on rested on jesus and he was able to stay faithful and so can you and 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 so can i um just think of mary the mother of jesus i, I just love her example because she followed the father's sealed orders for her as the mother of God, the one who was going to birth the Messiah into the world. And she doesn't follow her own agenda. She, she stays in her lane, her, I like to call it sealed orders from the father. And so as things are unfolding in her life, she doesn't understand what's going on, whether it's the angels singing or the wise men coming to the birth of Jesus or um, Jesus in the temple for three days, or he's lost. And but she's it says she, uh, she's continually pondering and treasuring these things in her heart. She doesn't know what's happening, but she's staying with the Father and she's treasuring what's happening in her heart, and she's allowing God's will to unfold in her life. That is no easy task. And it's a great example of us to discover and to remain in our sealed orders with the Father and god's purpose for us in in this particular season listen there's a light easy yoke available to you and to me uh it's not hard it's not confusing but i want to close with a very simple illustration from nature to kind of encourage you to stay the course uh follow jesus and to not surrender give in as you navigate this deadly temptation of self-promotion and we uh, see this theme in scripture. Abraham goes to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph. And then you've got Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elijah, etc. And so in the same way, you're going to pass on what God's given you to do in your life to someone else. It's going to follow you. Another generation will come. And is it, this illustration comes from that of butterflies. There are painted life butterflies. They're called p- painted lady butterflies that weigh less than a gram. And findings have found us that they findings have discovered that they travel 9,000 miles on a trip from, from tropical Africa to the Arctic Circle. And that whole journey is not just taken by one butterfly. They actually have a series of steps where one flies, dies, the next one picks it up and keeps going. And actually, six generations pass until they get there and get back. And then the same thing with monarch butterflies. I just read a great article about them. They fly from Canada to Mexico and back. And again, four butterfly, four different lifetimes of butterfly flies, dies, Son or daughter picks it up, they fly, dies, and so four generations. In the same way, you've got a sealed order for your life and your our generation. You fly, you will leave it off and hand it to somebody else. Uh, but God's doing something, so much, so much, so, something so much bigger than us. And we can trust him, do the hard work of discernment. We can know our shadow so we don't fall by the wayside. We want to be in loving union with the God, with the Father, and then discover our sealed orders. Um but as Jeremiah 45 says, should you then seek great things for yourself? Jeremiah says, do not seek them. We can trust and relax in the Father. So again, this Thursday, let me invite you, if you're able, to come to our Discover the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course at 2 o'clock. Uh, a Zoom, one hour free webinar. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org discover. Check that out. Or you may want to check out this large paid course called the School of Emotionally Healthy Leadership and find out more about that. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership school and check that out. But I want to bless you. May God's yoke, may you experience him as easy and light and full of life. And I bless you in Jesus name. Have a great day.